Well, if you go back to 1939, things did not look a whole lot different in many ways in, in our country. You know, at that time, there were economic problems. There was, you know, political unrest, and there was this countrywide anxiety about various things. And, and when I got to the holiday season, President Franklin Roosevelt came up with this idea that uh, did not go over well. What he did is he moved Thanksgiving up a week, and he did this to extend the holiday season, thinking it would encourage people. But more than that, he did it because it was a way to to extend the shopping season and people were very upset there, there were protests there were all sorts of complaints and upheaval and people called it Frank's giving and, and it was a terrible idea they said you're ruining tradition and you're trying to make this even more about money and consumerism and people again protested and nobody's tried to change you know dates of holidays since but it's it's interesting you know just like that time you know during our time you know the holiday seasons they cause you know they're can be wonderful but they can be you know complicated and all sorts of emotions wrapped around everything that takes place you know we're going to look at some things here today that are very important about you know for uh husbands we'll look at something here for parents and then we're gonna look at something here for for each of us not just during this time of year but for every day you think about the word testimony it comes from the hebrew root word which means to do again so when we share testimonies talking about you know spiritual giants in the past or personal testimonies of people today or examples of people that have gone through the ultimate challenges deepest valleys and god rescued them it's a testimony to say what god did for them he can do for you and i to do it again and I'll give you an example of a man who just his testimony today is just it's just incredible and so when you hear that it's to say you know what God can do for that person when I bring him the situation I face what can he do in me I'll give you an example of a testimony that's a very moving took place actually during the, the holiday season Ashley Hacksaw at the time you know she was not a committed believer by any means and she had lost her dad and then shortly after that just a few weeks she was diagnosed with cancer and then she went through treatment for that and she recovered from the cancer it went into remission she then started to go to church and so she was asked to share her testimony about going through these valleys and she did so at church on a, on a Christmas Eve service and she said this you know the journey I was reading in a devotional this very word. Do not be ashamed of your exhaustion. See it as an opportunity for me to take charge of your life. Remember, I can fit everything into a pattern for good, including the things you wish were different. Start where you are at in this time and space, accepting this is where I intend you to be. And I actually went on to say after she read that, she said, I realized that if this is where God intended me to be, he was not causing my suffering, but he was using it to reach me. She goes on to say, out of the blue, there was this mercy. I was healed and I found myself unguarded and humbled and little things became big things. It's like God was saying, finally, you have noticed. So she goes home to visit her parents, her mother, excuse me, on Christmas. And then she's flying back and she shares what took place. I was coming back on the plane, and while at my mother's, I had grabbed a random book off the guest room nightstand. I pulled it out on the flight back, and I turned to one of the pages, and I saw from a handwritten note, it was the last page my dad had read before he died. The words were, with God's grace alone do we find strength, and it comes from acknowledging our weakness as we humble ourselves before him. It's a strength that carries us through the toughest times. It's a strength that provides us the power to change our lives. 
pretty amazing and she goes on to share you know then her life was changed and she went to church and they shared that first service the the psalm 25 which reads in you lord i put my trust and then they sang a song to close surely the presence of the lord is in this place and from there now she is you know every week just wanting to be that testimony you know on sunday morning but all throughout the week as well Bill Johnson says difficulties in our lives expose the degree to which we really believe that God is for us. So we see the challenges. It's a chance to say, you know what? It's not God, you know, abandoning me. It's it's he's going to use this in my life and he's going to grow me. He's going to walk with me through it. And whatever challenges we might face, you know, we'll find that in him we, we are more than able. Let's look at a, a different miracle birth in scripture back in the book of Judges. This is 1100 BC, Judges chapter 13. This is going to be another miracle birth, and we're told this. An angel of the Lord appeared to this couple and said, You are barren and childless, but you are going to become pregnant and give birth to a son. So what's about to take place here? The angel is actually talking to two parents. We don't know the mother's name. We'll see the father's name here in a moment. But the child they're about to give birth to is Samson. And Samson, of course, is going to be this strong individual that delivers Israel out of bondage. And so here's a miracle birth of this deliverer that saves people from their enslavement. So it's, it's again, it's a metaphor for Messiah. But there's much more that happens here when this angel of the Lord appears to announce to this couple that they are going to have an, a, a miracle birth. Sun Tzu in 500 BC, every battle is won before it is fought. And so with that, when we come to this story here and the rest of everything in Scripture that's all pointing to Christ, you know, every battle is won before it's fought. And when we can stop and say, Lord, I believe that you want my life to be a testimony, that there are other testimonies and I want to be part of that testimony and we can draw strength from them and give strength to each other because what he's done for us, he's done for others, he'll do it again. And when we say every battle is won before it's fought, it's standing on the faith that every day he's going to do it again. And so whatever challenges there are, because we are complete in him, we are ready to face whatever it is that life throws our way. So here's something for men to stop and think about and say, listen, when we think different, believe different, live different, because of who he is, everything in our life is impacted. So men, this is from Dutch Sheets. Now, Dutch Sheets has written a number of books on prayer. He's taught on prayer for years. He does college-level classes on prayer, seminars on prayer around the world. Listen to what he says. It's been said the most popular silent prayer in churches is for a husband. The second most popular one is for a better husband. So, man, again, the challenge is to stop and say, you know, the, the prayer is for a better husband. And to say, you know, when we see how life is meant to be in Christ and we see how we are then meant to live our lives as husbands, fathers, brothers, friends, you know, all of these things, we start to then live at a different level of life. And we do so because, again, everything is about Jesus. You go back to Judges 13, notice it's an angel of the Lord that's appeared to this couple. Just as it's an angel of the Lord, 
appearing throughout scripture that's a it's a picture here it's a metaphor but it's also painting a picture of jesus and in fact this appearance here is christ 1100 years before he's going to become the word made flesh in bethlehem and that's what it is for us as husbands to say he has appeared unto me he has appeared in my life and he's rescued me out of my bondage so I can live differently. And I want to live consciously and deciding, you know, to be obedient unto him and living a whole different life because he has appeared unto me. Christ is appearing unto this couple to announce a birth here. Now, I love Larry Randolph's statement here. And he says, God is not responsible for making us reach our potential. A lot of people think they'll just sit back and it's just going to magically happen that they're going to become, you know, this person they should be. God is not responsible for making us reach our potential. He will help us to reach that potential, give us the strength to reach that potential. But it's for you and me to stop and say, what do I need to do to be that husband or to be that wife, to be that follower of Christ so that I am living in alignment with the one who's appeared unto me to say, let my testimony be a do it again, Lord. Think about something here for moms, dads, grandparents. Uh, Again, when you see him and you start thinking differently and living differently, here's an example. Parents, grandparents, this is something Darlene Bishop shared. And, you know, a lot of parents or grandparents, you know, they they don't know what to do. Maybe a child misbehaves. And so maybe they use shame or force to change that. But here's something Darlene Bishop suggests. And I think this is profound. She says, start speaking destiny over your kids. When your daughter lies to you, take her in your arms and say, Honey, I know you lied to me, but I love you and I want you to know that you are a mighty woman of God and women of God don't lie. I know you won't lie again. When your son steals, take him in your arms and say, Son, I know you stole, but you are a mighty man of God. And mighty men of God don't steal, so I know you won't do it again. A mother recently brought her child to me with various problems and I said, I tell her, that she's a mighty child of God. Remember, death and life are in the power of the tongue. There's a beautiful example of that that different people, you know, journalists have gone to witness out of the Babemba tribe in South Africa. You know, when they have somebody that breaks the law, they take that person and drag them to the center of the village and all the, the parents come out of the, the, the homes and they surround this person in the village. The, the men that are working out in the fields, they stop work. They come into the village. They surround this person. They make this huge circle around this individual. And then one by one, Say the person is a thief and he's been caught. He's in the middle of the circle and all the people one by one in the outer circle, they go around and they begin to speak to the accused. And one at a time, they recall good things about that person. And they tell that person how much they care about them. And this can go on for two and three days as the people in that circle speak to that individual and tell them words of life. And as you can imagine what happens each time, you know, that thief in the middle of that circle begins to weep and he doesn't steal again. Because people that believe, like the Babemba tribe, that each of us is within the realm of redemption because of Christ. Listen to what Ignatius said in 108 AD. You know, he's writing about historians and people that were still in his lifetime had spoke about events. And he said, a star 
shone in the night brighter than all the other stars. Its light was indescribable. Its strangeness produced wonder. And that same star that was that guiding light so they could see Messiah had come, that star now shines into our lives day to day again to say, Lord, do it again. Rosalie Mills shares about as a missionary in South America, she said there was this young man, Matthias. He had smallpox, blind in one eye. He was poor. He made money by playing a harp. Didn't make very much, though. And she said one day he was walking by a church and there was the song coming through the window and he stopped and listened to it and it changed his life. He then sold that harp, you know, used that money to buy a Bible and now he goes around sharing the gospel and people take him in and he stays a couple of nights at a village and he goes to another one. This man was smallpox, blind in one eye. Because his life was changed because he went by this church. And what was the song? What was this song here? We never can prove the delights of his love until all on the altar we lay. For the favor he shows, the joy he bestows are for them who will trust and obey. Trust and obey for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. E.W. Kenyon, he says, our faith is measured by our confession. Our usefulness in the Lord's work is measured by our confession. Sooner or later, we become what we confess. So again, when we say, you know what, his light has shown in my life. I, I, as a husband, as a wife, as a parent, a grandparent, you know, as an individual, I speak different, live different, have different faith. Every battle is won before it's fought. And when we wake up, we say, I have won because he is victorious and he liveth in me. That's what happens here in Judges 13. The angel of the Lord appears to the wife first and says, she went to her husband and said, a man of God came to me. Listen to what she says here. His appearance was exceedingly awesome. Again, these parents are going to be the parents of Samson, but we're focusing on this Christ, the angel of the Lord that's appearing here. And what does she say? His appearance is exceedingly awesome. Same thing for, again, our life. When we say, you know what? His appearance in my life, it's exceedingly awesome. He's cleansed me, redeemed me. He saved me. He set me on a rock. Listen to everything that Christ has done. You know, Bobby Mason, listen to the language he uses here. And I'll explain why. He says, your father wants you to see yourself as he sees you, love beyond your capacity to imagine, saved from your sins, healed of disease, delivered from bondage, and free to live the life he has planned for you. Now, those words that he uses there are all wrapped up in that word saved, salvation. You know, we think about, well, you're saved from sin, and that's true, but you are also saved under other things. Salvation means several different things. All in that one word, salvation, are, are the ideas of saved but also healed, delivered, protected, preserved, wholeness. So here's a daily decree to maybe speak over your life instead of you know the news and the negativity and the you know all the naysayers to every day out loud to rather use that word and say every day I am saved. I am healed, I am delivered, I am protected, I am preserved, I am made whole in the name of Jesus. You see, again, it's about speaking different and living different because everything is different in him. Think about this. The angel, we're told, you know, 
now the husband is talking to the angel, Judge 13, and it says, Manoah said to the angel, what is your name so we may honor you, that your word comes true? And he replied, why you ask my name, it is wonderful. Now listen to some other translations here. The King James says, why ask my name, it is secret. The Brian says, why ask my name, it's beyond comprehension. English Standard says, why you ask my name, seeing it is wonderful. NIV says, why do you ask my name? It's beyond understanding. Uh, again, all of this is, is the, the promise of who he is. And when Noah says, what is your name? It's beyond comprehension. His name is wonderful. And of course, we know the name is as Matthew were told in the gospel when the angel appeared to Mary, he said, you'll give birth to a son and you'll give him the name Jesus. Jesus means God saves because he will save his people from their sins. And again, every battle's won or lost before it's even begun. And when we say it's won for me because I believe in the one whose name is Jesus in every aspect of my life. Think about Tom Brooks. This is incredible. Back in Kentucky, 1940, he was illiterate. And one day he gave his life to Christ. And he knew one verse he had memorized it, Mark 10, 27, which says, for with God, all things are possible. He took a Bible and he said, I'm going to the woods. I'm not coming back until I can read. Now, think about what he did here again. Do it again, Lord, testimony. What does he do? He goes into the woods, Tom Brooks, and every day, you know, he's there for a day and he says, you know, I'm not leaving until I can read. So he begins to say, with God, all things are possible. With God, all things are possible. With God, all things are possible. Now, how many people would do that for 10 minutes? An hour, two hours. He stayed all night. He gets up the next day. Can't read. Begins to confess. With God, all things are possible. With God, all things are possible. You want different results. You got to put in different effort. How many people would stay two days? He stayed three, four, five, six, seven days every day confessing. With God, all things are possible. With God, all things are possible. Day eight, Tom Brooks got up. With God, all things are possible. With God, all things are possible. Opens his Bible and he can read. Runs into town, says, tells everybody that he passes. God taught me to read. God taught me to read. God taught me to read. Became this Bible teacher, became a minister. Years go by. Incredible testimony. And then one day he tells his family, God wants me to build a church on the property across the street. Well, the problem was the property across the street was a steep mountain. And his family said, you know, there's no way that you can build a church on that. He said, well, God's going to move that mountain. The Bible says faith moves mountains. And his family says, that means obstacles, Tom, not a literal mountain. And Tom says, I'm going to the woods. I'm not coming back until God moves that mountain. A week goes by and there's a knock on the door. And this businessman says, I'm looking for the owner of the property across the street. And his family says, well, that's Tom Brooks, but he's somewhere in the woods. He's not here. And the man says, well, I'm a, I'm a surveyor. And, and we're looking for soil and we're dynamiting mountains. And we want to know if we can pay to, to take that mountain and take all that soil away. This family runs across the street into the woods saying, Tom, Tom, God has moved your mountain. See, that's the difference is Larry Leah says you pray through, not just about your need. Declare over, not worry over your life. 
Think about Tom Shadyak, uh, incredible testimony of his, do it again, Lord. Tom Shadyak, you know, he's one of the most successful producers in Hollywood. He produced films like Liar, Liar, Bruce Almighty, Nutty Professor, Ace Ventura, Ace Ventura, and, and you know, he has grossed his movies $2 billion with a B dollars. He himself worth $50 million, but he was unhappy. And he said his father helped start, you know, St. Jude's where they treat children for free as they, as they fight cancer. And Tom says, I had $50 million and I thought, you know, I, I thought if you bought things and they made you happy, then you buy more things, you become more happy. So he said, I thought if you bought a car is what I was told. You like that car, you'll buy a new car, you'll be even happier. You like a house, buy a better one, you'll be even happier. And so I bought all these cars, a 17,000 square foot mansion, but every time I bought something, I wasn't happier. Here's my dad, he's living fulfillment, working in a difficult area with children that are facing illness, and he's happy. He said, I've got everything. And so Tom Shadyak, he knew this Native American man who was a spiritual leader, he went to him. He said, what's wrong with me? You know, he said, this man said, you're filled with Watiko. And Tom said, what is Watiko? And the man said, that's a word for cannibal. All you do is take the life of other people. You just consume other people. You're always looking for what you can get for yourself. And Tom said, what's the answer? He said, you need to learn sympathy. You need to learn compassion. You need to learn to give without asking for anything in return. How do you live a different life? You've got to take different steps. What did Tom Shadjack do? He gave away that $50 million, moved into a small trailer, and now he's a college professor. Again, how many people are going to do that? But what is the cost that we're willing to pay to, to live that testimony. That do it again now, Lord, life. But as he has appeared unto us, and his name is wonderful. As Daniel Laporte said, right now someone you haven't met is already dreaming of adoring you. Someone is writing a book that you'll read in the next two years that will change how you look at life. Someone wants to hug you, hold you, make tea for you. Someone is willing to lend you money, wants to know what your favorite food is and treat you to a movie. Someone in your orbit has something immensely valuable to give you for free. Something is being invented this year that will change how your generation lives, communicates, heals, and passes on. The next great song is being rehearsed. Millions of children are that everything is amazing and will always be that way. Right now, someone is in profound pain and a few months from now, they'll be thriving like never before from where they are, they just can't see it. Someone who is craving to be friended, to be acknowledged, to arrive, will get precisely what they want and even more. And because that gift will be so fantastical in its reach and sweetness, it quite magically, after their memory of anxiously longing, rendered all so worth the wait. Someone just this second wished for world peace in earnest. Some civil servant is making sure you get your mail and your garbage is picked up. Someone's dedicating their days to protecting your civil liberties. Someone is regaining their sanity. Someone is coming back from the dead. Someone is generally forgiving the seemingly unforgivable. Someone is curing the incurable you, me, someone now testimony star exceedingly awesome wonderful appeared in your life my life his name is Jesus